Hey, 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 you know, um, as we were singing that one song about the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit come and fill this place. And, and as I was singing, it kind of hit me that, you know, that the God does not live in temples made by human hands, but we're the temple of God. And, and I was kind of holding my heart when we sang that. Your Holy Spirit fill this place. You fill me and, and, and fill this place with your atmosphere, right? And, and when the Holy Spirit fills his people, uh, that's when the Holy Spirit will fill this building. Amen? Amen. Hey, hey, we're in this series on James. It's a letter written by the half-brother of, of Jesus. And it's a letter where James is talking about how you and I need to make our faith real. And James, right out of the gate, said that, that real faith, is grounded in the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what our faith is about. That's the foundation. And that, that, that this gives us a, it gives us a, a new life, a, a new purpose, and it gives us a new identity as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're, we're, this is a room full of a bunch of servants, right? We're not here for our own agenda. We're here to serve our king, and we're here to promote his honor and his glory. And then James last week taught us that, 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 that real faith turns our trials into triumphs. That, that, that real faith is able to make, when we're facing hardships and difficulties, maybe you're in one right now, but James says that that real faith it is able to make you a victor, not a victim. Amen? That's what real faith does. And real faith is grounded in the resurrection. The resurrection has power. The resurrection fills us with new life, and it, it puts God's power in us. And this morning, uh, James is going to talk about how, how real faith enables you and I to overcome, to, to defeat temptation. Anybody here struggle with temptation? Please be seated, Right? Okay, I'm in a room full of sinners, right? Uh, turn to the person next to you, never mind. And, and, you know, tell them that hey, you're a sinner, right? You've probably want, been wanting to say that, okay? Um, uh, but James writes this. Verse 12, um, God blesses those, I'm going to start at verse 12. Um, God blesses those who, who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they'll receive the crown of life. Remember, it's not a gem-studded crown. It's a, it's a wreath that an athlete would get who competed in a race and, and won that race who endured. And afterward, they received the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived that gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he has created. May God bless the reading of his word and and I want us to pray into this message. And a lot of times I ask you guys to pray with open palms, ready, symbolic that, hey, I'm ready to receive from God. Uh, this morning, I, if you will, I'm not twisting your arm or nothing, you know, uh, but, but you know, to put your hand on your heart and saying you know, that your heart is open 
to receive whatever God has for you this morning. Let's pray together. Uh, Father God, we love you. What an honor and a privilege it is to, God, to be in your presence. Jesus, you are the great overcomer, and you enable us to overcome the things that this world throws at us. And, and Jesus, you brought us to this place today, and we're able to worship you, and it's not an accident that we're here. And, and Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you will find an open heart standing right up here on the stage. God, may my heart, even as I proclaim your truth, may it be open to your truth. And Father, I, I pray that around this room that you will find hearts and minds and spirits that are open to you and to whatever you have to say to us. And God, we love you. May you be pleased by what happens in the next several minutes. And may we be changed as we encounter your word of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Woo! Okay, I'm having a good time. Hey, I, I want to begin today by, by taking a look at, at the stuff that I have on the table. I, I understand the stuff that you see here on the table are instruments of death. I picked them up at Lowe's this week. And now most bugs don't know it, but they have an enemy. An enemy that is bigger, smarter, faster, stronger, and more determined than they are. An enemy that stays laid up, stays up late at night and invests large sums of money to figure out how they can lure little bugs and other pests to their death. And on this table are some of those methods that this enemy has come up with. And understand, bugs will choose to enter these things. Yeah, they'll choose the very things that will lead to their death. Question, why would they do that? Why would they choose to enter something that's designed to kill them? Well, you see, their enemy has done extensive research, and this research has revealed that you cannot say to a bug or any other pest, choose death and have them choose it. Therefore, every one of these things on the table involves deception. Uh, they involve the promise of life. Yeah, a bug looks at them and thinks, man, that sure looks good. It smells good. I bet it tastes even better. Okay, so let's take a look at some of these instruments of death. I have right here, hot shot, max attack, ant bait. Right here. I love it. Starts killing in hours. Kills the queen and destroys the colony. Kill and destroy. All right, here's another one right here. I'm actually going to probably keep this one and put it, use it. Home defense, fly bait decal. Step number one, attract. Step number two, kill. <laughs> Flies eat the bait and die. Right, okay, love it, love it, love it, love it. This one here is kind of a slow death kind of thing. I don't know if you've ever used these things. You just feel so sorry. You just hear this little squeaky, squeaky, squeaky. You know, it's these glue traps and they get stuck on it. I actually had a picture of one I had used. I was going to show you guys, but that would be really, really bad. And um, I'll, I'll stop with that. It, it got really bad. Okay. <laughs> okay, here, here we got some good old poison right Tomcat, mouse killer two. Kills up to 12 mice. Ah, there they go. And, and, and one of my all-time favorites, I, I didn't know that he had this until I got close to the checkout line, the Roach Motel. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Roaches check in. <laughs> But they don't check out, right, right? I love the Roach Motel. And, and then we have here, this is Stinger 
outdoor insect killer. I mean, it's got a guy in a white coat, so you know what you gotta wear, right? Scientifically tested, proving effective for one acre. How it works. A 24-watt ultraviolet bulb lures insects into the electric grid where they are electrocuted and fall harmlessly to the ground. <laughs> Instruments of death. You see bugs look at that light and they think, oh, that's a pretty light. It's so beautiful. I think I'll go over and check it out. Zap. They're toast, literally. Okay, humor me for a minute. Like you haven't already, right? And like you don't every Sunday. But anyhow, let's walk down the humor Steve path uh, again. Let's try to get inside a bug's head and think like a bug. Tell the person sitting next to you, think like a bug. Think like a bug. Do not say, I know you're already thinking like a bug. Okay. Now, you would think that after a while, these bugs would wise up. I mean, you think they would notice that lying in the tray underneath the light are the bodies of hundreds of their little friends that have gone on before them. And listen, being electrocuted, dead toasted on the bottom of the bug zapper is not anywhere close to where these little guys intended to wind up. But as we studied many, many years ago at Maple Grove, we know that it's direction, not intention, that determines our destination. Get it? Good. Uh, But still, you would think that there'd be at least one thoughtful bug who would say, you know what? I'm just not going to blindly follow my desires. I'm starting to see a pattern here. All my little buddies who fly into this grid, they, they they never come back. But it is so beautiful. Zap. No bug ever does that. Apparently, they all say to themselves, I know what I'm doing. I'm strong enough. I'm smarter than the other guys on the bottom of the tray. It may have happened to other bugs, but it'll never happen to me. I can handle this attraction without being zapped. Yeah, even if everyone gets zapped, I never will. And we know what happens, don't we? We know the rest of the little bug story. They, like their friends, end up at the bottom of the tray, dead, electrocuted, fried by a 24-watt ultraviolet light bulb. Yeah, there's a way that seems right to a bug, but it only ends in death. But only a bug would be that stupid, right? I mean, only a bug would fly mindlessly into the same trap that countless other bugs have died in, right? Just a bug. But unfortunately, we know that's not the case. I mean, if we listen closely, we'll hear it. Hear what? We'll we'll hear the sound of the 24-watt ultraviolet light bulb of this world cracking like a bowl of Rice Krispies that you poured milk into. Snap, crackle, pop, zap, zap. Political leaders zap as they fly into the light. Pastors and church leaders zap. Wealthy athletes, zap. You see, temptation is, is no respecter of persons. And it is one of the, I mean, it's one of the great equalizers in our world, and no one escapes its pull. You know, two recent examples of, of a couple guys who, who got zapped, who flew into the light, should have known better, because other bugs have flown that way before and totally jacked up their life. 
Uh, this is Billy Graham's grandson. He took over for Dr. James Kennedy at Coleridge Baptist Church and had to resign in June of this year because he had an affair with somebody. Here, here's a mugshot of a Hall of Famer, Warren Sapp, elected to the Hall of Fame, had a phenomenal job at ESPN, funny guy, but he decided after the Super Bowl to to, to, prop, to bring in a couple of prostitutes and then wind up assaulting them. That, that is his mugshot. By the way, he's married and he has children. You see, temptation is no respecter of persons. The rich, zap. The poor, zap. Teenagers, zap. The elderly, zap. Construction workers, teachers, homemakers, students, pastors, doctors, nurses, salesmen, business leaders, Republicans, Democrats, Christians, non-Christians, they all fly into the light. Zap, 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 zap. Okay, let me show you another instrument of death. Does anybody want to guess what kind of bug this one catches now? The book of Genesis doesn't tell us what kind of fruit it was, but I, I, I've always, my theory is that it was an onion. And, and that, see, I, I believe that in the beginning, the onion was the most delicious fruit on the face of the planet. But after the fall, it was cursed and became an onion. Now, that's just my theory. If you're an onion lover, that's okay. Uh, you know, it's a theory. But here's what we know. We know there was a tree that grew fruit, and that fruit was forbidden. And in Genesis 3, 6, when the woman, when Eve saw that the fruit uh, was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and would give her wisdom, she flew into the light and was zapped, and so was her husband, Adam, who was flying right beside her. He was zapped. Now, you got to wonder. I mean, when you hear about another person who falls into sin, when you, keep, when you hear about another person who destroys their life, wrecks their marriage, rocks their family, turns upside down their world, and, and does serious damage to their soul, because let me tell you, that's what sin is doing, right? Peter said it in 1 Peter chapter 2, that, that our sinful nature wages war against our very souls. Gotta wonder, why does it happen? Why do we choose to violate our values Ooh, why do we voluntarily give in to things that we know are going to be destructive? Why do we, why do I, why do you fly into the light? Why do intelligent people who really do love God engage in actions, behaviors, and attitudes that they know are destructive, that they know are pulling them away from God, and that they know that more than likely will make them feel ashamed and embarrassed later? Why do we do it? I understand part of the reason the Bible says is that like the bugs we talked about earlier, we have an enemy. Maple Grove, sin and temptation is everybody's battle. And if you want to overcome and defeat temptation, you need to know your enemy. And listen, your enemy is bigger, faster, stronger, smarter, and more determined than you are. I mean, since Genesis chapter 3, he has stayed up night and day to try to figure out ways that, that he can lure you and I into his version of the Roach Motel. I understand the Bible is, is very clear on this. Now, you may not know it. You may not like it. You may not want to think about it. You may want to ignore it. You may want to think this is just church talk and not a big deal. But the truth is, you have an enemy. An enemy who hates you. An enemy 
who desires to destroy you. An enemy who wants nothing more than to see you zapped by his version of the 24-watt ultraviolet bulb and see you at the bottom of his tray. You have an enemy. Uh, Tell the people sitting around you, you have an enemy. Get it? Uh, Good, but not so good. (laughs) See, we have an enemy. This church has an enemy. Your marriage has an enemy. Your children have an enemy. Your friends have an enemy. The people sitting around you in this room have an enemy. Both believers and non-believers have an enemy. An enemy who's even now making plans for your death and destruction. Welcome to church. Who here believes that the Bible's true? Right, that's why you're here, right? You know, that's awesome. Check out what the Bible says about your enemy. That these purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. Repeat after me. Steal. Steal. Kill. Kill. Destroy. Destroy. Steal. Steal. Kill. 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 (laughs) Destroy. You guys are anxious to kill, aren't you? All this bait up here. Okay. Listen, that is what the thief, that is what your enemy, that is what Satan wants to do to your life and the life of those around you. Steal, kill, and destroy. And you know what? When we look at the bottom of the tray, brothers and sisters, it's obvious he's doing a pretty good job in accomplishing that purpose. Snap, crackle, pop, zap, zap. Peter also talks about the enemy in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He says, be careful. Watch out for attacks from the devil, your great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for some victim to devour. Check out this picture, man. That's scary. I mean, if I was on the ground and that guy was above me, I would be scared. That would be terrifying. And it is actually happening. There's actually a lion who's wanting to destroy me. Satan is your greatest enemy. Yeah, I know you thought it was this person or that person, right? Because sometimes it feels like it, doesn't it? But remember, our our battle ultimately is not against flesh and blood, though it can feel like it, because flesh and blood is what is pressing against you. It's people, right? But ultimately, our enemy is Satan. He's a roaring lion, and he's looking for somebody to devour, I mean, that picture is just ferocious. I mean, here's this lion. He's, he, he's hiding in the bushes, and he's waiting for some, some animal that's weak, some animal that's straggling behind, and he's just waiting for that right moment. And when he finds that moment, boom, he pounces, devours. And here is a warm and not-so-fuzzy thought. That lion is prowling around right now. No, we can't see him. But he's prowling around right now in this room saying, is there anybody in this room that I can devour? Brothers and sisters, if you want to defeat temptation, you must know your enemy. And you must know that death and destruction is his goal. That's his only goal. He wants to kill you. He, He wants to destroy you. He wants you to check in and not to check out. James writes, sin when it is full grown. And sin does that, right? I'll move this before I trip on it. You know, sin does that, right? It kind of grows. You know, it's like one little sin, and then it kind of grows. And 
Yeah, there's this, this proverb I heard, an Indian proverb, like, like when you send, like you, you imagine you got this maybe eight-star heart, I mean, eight-star thing in your heart, metal, right? And when you send, it twists. It's like, ow, oh, that hurt, man. I did something wrong. I turned, it hurt. But it, what happens if you keep sinning? You hollow it out. And then you become deceived, right? You become hardened to sin's deceitfulness. Sin has a way of growing. And, 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 and when it grows all the way, it gives birth to what? It gives birth to, to death. And death means separation. It, physical death is separation of our body, our spirit from our body. Spiritual death is separation of our spirit from God. And, and that's his goal, right? That's Satan's goal. His number one goal, his only goal, is he, he wants to separate you from God. Get it? Good. Real faith defeats temptation. To defeat temptation, we must know our enemy. We must know that, that, that death and destruction is his goal, and we must know that temptation is his game. You see, see temptation Temptation is it's how he gets it done. And our text, James, tells us that, that temptation, it always follows the same pattern. He says, hey, here's how he's going to do it. Here's how he's going to pull you in. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desires, he's dragged away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desires conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Step one is the, is the bait is dropped, and, 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 and the bait always involves some kind of deception, right? I mean, like, the, the little roach is thinking, like, wow, this is a great hotel. I went on Hotels.com. You know, I got to be a suite. It's got a bathroom and a kitchen, right? And he's thinking, this is going to be, it's got a pillow-top mattress. It's going to be incredible. Yeah, he, he doesn't know, right? It's deception. And when the enemy drops a bait on the hook, he, it promises you something good. It promises you life, but in reality, all it has for you is death. Step two, your inner desire is attracted to the bait. See, James is saying that there, that there is a desire in me and there's a desire in you that tends to be drawn towards things that are going to kill us. We're attracted to it. Step three is when sin occurs, that's when we yield and we bite the bait. Then sin, when full grown, gives birth to death. But again, notice that it all begins when the bait is dropped. Now, the word that James uses for dragged away carries the idea of the, you know, of the baiting or setting of a trap. And, and the word entice is the, in the original Greek, you know, meant to bait a hook. And listen, when fishing... It's important to use a bait that interests your fish, right? Different fish, different bait. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not a, I'm not a fisherman, but I got Google, right? I, who needs, I got Google, right? I can Google it. And I, I went to a website called bestbaitforfishing.com, right? Because right? not every fish, right, is attracted to the same things. And if you're a fisherman, you may not agree with these, and you can go there and protest, right? Because I don't claim that this is the truth, you know. Um, yeah, but if you want to um, uh, catch bluegills, it says that you know, worms and insects will get you some bluegills. Uh, you want to catch you know, some bass, crayfish, right? That'll get you some bass. Um, crappie, which is the funniest fish in the world, um, you know, minnows, right? Minnows. And it says that for carp and catfish, dough balls, right? Different fish, different bait. And, and understand, temptation is the same way, right? Different people, different temptation. 
right? For some in this room, especially um, guys, you know, usually sexual sin, right, is a temptation, right? You know, uh, different fish. You, you may be here today and, and, and anger's your deal, right? Man, you, you're always tempted just to lose your cool, right? Or maybe the love for money and the things of this world is what he puts on the hook. Other people, he puts on the hook bitterness. They hurt you. Don't ever forgive them. You know, they don't deserve your forgiveness, right? You know, he just, whatever it is. And maybe for some people, you know, it's gossip and slander and malice. You know, just talk about them. Whatever it is. Or maybe for some people, he puts on the hook, hey, you know what? You know, keep all your stuff for yourself, all your time and your talents and your treasure. That's for you and your kingdom and not, and not for mine. You know, a different fish, different bait. But the bottom line is, you know, you and I are swimming along, doing whatever fish do, just kind of chilling out, and he drops the bait, and we see it, and we go, whoa, I like that. That looks good. I got to get me some of that. And at that point, the fish has a choice. Do I swim away or do I bite the bait? And if he chooses a later, we know where he ends up, on a hook and then later on a plate at Red Lobster or the Bonefish Grill, right? And that's exactly the way temptation works with us. The bait is dropped and it's something that looks good to us, that appeals to us, interests us, and we want to have it. We want to behave that way. And that is when we have a choice to make, to bite or not to bite. (laughs) That is our dilemma, right? That's the question. Again, notice when sin occurs, it occurs at step three. I mean, we can cut and run before we bite the bait and we're okay. It's not a sin to be tempted, right? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter four that Jesus, we have a high priest who Who's, not, who's, not, who's able to sympathize with their weaknesses because Jesus Christ was tempted in every way just as we are, yet, yet without sin. And, and we think, well, he's God. No wonder he can. Well, yeah, but we give in so easy, we don't understand how bad it can get, right? He never gave. He knows the full extent of temptation because he never gave into it. Now, now the Bible, um, there's two guys that, that, you know, that had the bait dropped. And obviously, he had debate of sexual immorality drop. Two guys in the Bible. You can read about it. We don't have time to tell their story. You can learn something about them. One was a guy named David, you know, and what was dangling on his hook was a, was a beautiful woman named Bathsheba. And, and, and David didn't do so good. Now, now you can go back into Genesis and meet a guy named Joseph. And, and, and this dude had, you know, he, he had a lovely woman by the name of Potiphar dangling on the hook. And Joe said, I'm out of here. I mean, he ran and he actually left some of his clothes. I mean, he was like Dory, you know, you know, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. I'm going faster. I'm not looking back. I'm swimming. I don't want to look back. If I look back, I may get tempted. I'm just going to go, 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 go. He just ran. See, there's a name for people who try to reason with sexual sin. Victim. <laughs> Victim. To defeat temptation, you have to know your enemy. You have to know that his goal is your death and destruction. Know that his game is temptation. And you also need to know your responsibility. James says, when tempted, no one should say, God has tempted me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire. That's not very nice, James. He is dragged away and enticed. I understand God is perfectly sinless. Now, he permits temptation, 
but he never directs temptation. And James is saying that the responsibility for our sin and our response to temptation lies fully on us. There's no one else to blame, not even Satan. It's all on us. Question. How good are you? I'm not asking how good your wife is or anybody else, right? Because that's what we do in church. Anybody do this in church? I'm sure glad they're here today. I sure hope Steve's listening to what he's talking about. I listened all week long. Believe me, I want to tell you, right? But how, how good are you? How good are you at accepting responsibility for your actions? You do something wrong, do you admit it? Or do you blame someone else? You, you get a bad grade at school or something goes wrong at work, it's their fault. You get angry and lose your cool, lose your temper, it's their fault. If they didn't do this, if you weren't that way, if, if they didn't do this, I wouldn't have got mad. I, I wouldn't have acted ungodly if they didn't do it. There's an epidemic in our society and in, and in the church of people failing to accept responsibility for their actions and inactions. I understand it's not an accident that James, right after talking about trials and turning them to triumphs, talks about temptation. Because trials, hard times, and difficulties can make us, if we're not leaning hard into God, they, those trials, if we're not asking God for wisdom, if we're not leading into God on our trials, if we're not choosing joy in those trials, it, it can make us more vulnerable to temptation. Get it? Good. You didn't want to get it, did you? Writer and speaker Johnny Erickson Tata was paralyzed from the neck down in a diving accident. She wrote a book called Secret Strength, and she, in that book she wrote about facing temptation. She's paralyzed from the neck down. He says, I, I was in my late 20s, single, with every prospect of remaining so. Sometimes, just a, sometimes lust or a bit of fantasizing would seem so inviting and so easy to justify. After all, hadn't I already been I already given up more than most Christians just by being disabled? Didn't my wheelchair entitle me to a little slack now and then? And she goes on to ask her readers, when God allows you to suffer, are you, are you anyone in a hard time right now? Do you have a tendency to use your trials as an excuse for sinning? Or do you feel that since you've given God a little extra lately by taking abuse that he owes you a day off to be who you really want to be? Again, hard times can often lead to temptation. And know that in our suffering, the evil one is quick to come to our aid and offer one of his solutions, pursuing pleasure to, to numb the pain, copping an attitude, becoming bitter, getting even, feeding our anger. But listen, even in our trials and hardships, temptation is our responsibility. Understand, brothers and sisters, it's your responsibility to starve temptation and not feed it. That's what Paul was talking about in, in Romans 6, verse 13. He says, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to the gods, those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. And it's, it's, a, it's an active thing. He doesn't just say, hey, don't offer your 
just offer your bodies to sin, but he says, hey, offer the parts of your body to God for righteous things. You see, we're not to peacefully coexist with temptation. We're to come out against it. We're to fight it. If we're honest, though, we got to admit that a lot of us tend to play around with things that tempt us, right? We kind of hang around the water's edge. We're kind of like this boy. He, he went outside. His mom says, you, you can't go swimming today, Johnny. He comes home later that day, sopping wet, wearing his bathing suit. He says, Johnny, what's up? I, I, I thought I told you you're going to swim. And he goes, yeah, I know, but the water looks so good. But why did you take your bathing suit with you? Just in case I got tempted, right? That's us, right? Just in case. Or we're like the guy who was trying to, he was trying to lose weight and even changed the route of how he would drive to work so he would avoid the bakery because um, he, he loved donuts. And um, one day he found himself accidentally on that route and, you know, and, and he came into work carrying three dozen boxes of donuts with chocolate frost icing on his face and all over his shirt. I love chocolate frost donuts. Um, and, and, and he says, hey, I accidentally drove by and I, and I saw the sign hot and fresh and and I didn't think it was an accident. I said, Lord, if you want me to have donuts today, um, he prayed, you know, please provide a spot in front of the store. And he said, in the eighth time around, <laughs> I found one. There it was. Thank you, God. My, that's what I was praying for. You know, there's a, a TV show eons ago called Hee Haw. And... and in one clip, Doc Campbell, a guy came in and said, hey, Doc, I, I broke in my arm in two places. And, and Doc Campbell had some great and wise advice. Well, stay out of those two places, right? Yeah. Why are you going to places where you break your arm? You know what? There's some places we need to stay out of too. Amen? There's some places we need to stay out of too. Amen? You see, if you keep messing around with fire long enough, eventually you're going to get burned. I understand, if you keep bringing your bathing suit with you in case you're tempted, if you hang around the water's edge, if you drive around the block eight times, if you keep going to places you should not be going, temptation is eventually going to lure you in. And it may not let you out. Listen, temptation to sin which when full grown leads to death, which is separation from God, it's nothing to play around with. Which means there are places and situations that you may need to stay out of. I mean, are, are there some places you need to stop going? Are, are there some internet, site, internet sites you need to stop going on to? Are there some people you need to stop hanging around with? Because, man, you hang around with them, you, you, you start doing things you know you should not be doing. Are, are you doing things that you shouldn't be doing? Are you feeding temptation rather than starving it? David didn't starve it, did he? David fed it. I mean, when David went up to that balcony, I mean, he, he took his bathing suit with him, right? A guy named Dag, and I won't even attempt to pronounce his last name, well done. Say that again. That's awesome, dude. That'd be a great hangman word, though, wouldn't it? Okay. Um, but he was Secretary General to the United Nations in the mid to late 50s. Here's what he said. You cannot play with the animal in you without becoming holy animal. Play with falsehood without forfeiting your right to truth. Play with cruelty 
without losing your sensitivity of mind. He who wants to keep his garden tidy doesn't reserve a plot for weeds. It's your responsibility to starve, not feed temptations. It's your responsibility to use the right resistance. You see, just as all sicknesses are not cured by the same medication, not all temptation is handled by the same resistance. We must fit the resistance to the attack. When dealing with sensual temptation, we're told to flee, to run, to get out of Dodge, right? I mean, Dodge was a western town in the late 1900s. You know, I know Marshall Dillon and Festus were there, right? You know, but, but there was a lot of gunfights. It was a dangerous place to be. Get out of Dodge, man. You better get out quick because something could happen and you could get caught in a gunfight. And that's what Joseph did, right? He ran. He got out of Dodge. The Bible says this, flee from sexual morality, which would be any sexual sin is any sin, any sexual activity not between a man and a woman in a covenant marriage. Boom, that's it. Anything other than that is sexual sin. Is pornography sin? Absolutely. Flee from sexual morality. And all other sins, all other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Timothy said, run! Paul said to Timothy, from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Use the right resistance, Right? If you're tempted to gossip and slander, and let me define that. Gossip and slander is talking negatively about another person behind their back to someone else in an effort to hurt or damage the reputation or name of that person. It's to tear that person down, all right, in the eyes of other people, right, in case you didn't know what that was. If we're tempted to gossip and slander about someone, God has an answer for that too. Don't do it. Keep your mouth closed. And you say, well, that's one well, that's one method. God says it's the only method, right? Gossip and slander doesn't need a bridle. It needs a muzzle. Stop talking about that. Keep our mouths closed. Later on, James is gonna say, hey, some stuff about our tongue. He says, if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're what? You're fooling yourself. And your religion is worthless. But I, religion is worthless, right? You know, at Maple Grove, number one core value, honor biblical authority, right? Uh, James also says later, we'll be looking at this later down the road, the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I mean, no one would think of going into their home and, and, and unleashing poisonous snakes, right? You wouldn't do that. I mean, you, you family would get mad at you. And probably no one here would say, hey, you know what? Let's just bring some poisonous snakes to Maple Grove on Sunday. Wouldn't do that. But we could bring it right here, right? And then the great theologian Thumper maybe put it best. If you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. Would would that change relationships? Would, Would that help husband and wives get along? Now, I know they're made for a while a little less talking, right? Got to quiet. But quiet's okay. It's better than the alternative sometimes, right? If you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all, right? And let's not kid ourselves into our Christian ease, right? The way we do things like, I'm not going to gossip about Lou, but he's in my Monday D group, but in my Tuesday D group, I need to tell what Lou's doing because I need to pray for Lou. (laughs) No, I don't do that, right? 
You know, sometimes we can use our prayers, right? Well, I'm just concerned about that person, so I need to tell you how screwed up their life is so we can pray together about them. I don't think that's good. I don't think that's healthy. I don't think that's something that we should do. I hope that makes sense. Tongues are a restless evil. You got to use the right resistance. Sexual sin, run. Gossip, slander, keep your mouth closed. Laziness, get off your butt and work. You know, bitterness, forgive, right? Because he's forgiven you, right? Holding back on and not giving the Lord what belongs to him, hey, just give him what's his. Next is your responsibility to remind yourself of the final pain that will soon replace the passing pleasure. That's what Moses said. Let me read the scripture. We're going to start cranking. Fifth gear. Uh, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, and some of us need to grow up, he was 40, right? So, and maybe, maybe some of us are tracking okay. Refused to be known as a son of Pharaoh's daughter, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Is sin pleasurable? You better believe it is, right? Or else we wouldn't do it. But, but only, only for a short time. And see, it's our responsibility to remind yourself, like, hey, man, it, it was not a lot of fun being electrocuted by this 24-watt ultraviolet light bulb and laying in the bottom of this tray. It wasn't fun. I didn't enjoy that, right? We got to remind ourselves, you know, yeah, it felt fun at the time when I lost my temper, but I sure felt bad the rest of the night knowing I couldn't take back the words that I just said to my spouse, Right? It sounded okay at the time, you know. Hey, getting trash on the weekend could seem like a great time, but when you're hugging the porcelain god, when you see the blue lights flashing, or you wrap your car around a tree, killing the buddy next to you and the mother of three in the van, it's not such a good time anymore, right? We have to remind ourselves, yeah, yeah, sin is fun, but it only lasts a short time. We have to remind ourselves, yeah, I said this time and time again, you know, sin always takes you further than you want to go. And it always keeps you longer than you want to stay, right? That's what it does. You thought you were just checking into a motel, and you found out you couldn't check out of that motel. It's our responsibility to remind ourselves. The enemy doesn't want us to think how bad it was and how bad it felt to know that you had separated yourself from God and and God felt distance. You wanted to do your quiet time, and you know what? You read the Bible, but you got nothing out of it because you felt the weight of your sin. You got to remind yourself, man, that's not worth it. There's nothing's worth that feeling. Amen? Amen. It doesn't sound like I'm speaking from experience. Yeah. Because I'm a sinner. It's also your responsibility to fill your mind with Scripture. I, I, I mean, when, when Satan began his all-out assault on our Lord, right, tempting him, and he responded, boom, it is written. Boom, it is written. Boom, it is written, right? Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. How can a young man keep his way pure? Psalm 119, by by living according to your word, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Here's the deal. This is true, right? Because the word of God is living and active, right? You know, uh, uh, sharper than a double-edged sword, right? All scriptures God breathed, useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness. And, And if we memorize scripture, God will use that scripture to keep us from sinning. Uh, Professor Mark Moore at Ozark College, I remember saying one time that, that if you, ha- and we, we all have sin, right? I mean, it, 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 if you don't have sin issues, you're excused, right? You know, go to Sweet Frogs, bring your receipt, I'll buy you ice cream, right? Okay, okay, but he said that if, if you have an area of life, a sin you struggle with, and you have not memorized three scriptures, 
that deal with that sin, then you're not really serious about defeating that sin. If you struggle with anger, you know, Proverbs 29.11 could be a good one. A fool gives full vent to his anger. And social media allows us to do it even without talking, right? A fool gives full vent to his anger. But a wise man keeps himself under control. And you're about to lose it, right? You know, I can't believe. Oh, Steve, you want to be a fool? Is that what you want to be, Steve? You're going to go ahead and be a fool right now. I go, thanks, Holy Spirit. If, you know, if you struggle with lust, man, go, go to the Bible, look at lust and sexual sin. Find scriptures that speak about it and memorize those scriptures. If you deal with bitterness and unforgiveness, find scripture that speak about it, right? You know, we all have our sin. We all have our bait, our dough balls, our insects, whatever, right? Our worms, our minnows, whatever bait, whatever the enemy puts on the hook that we tend to always grab onto and get pulled into, we use scripture and we memorize that scripture. Get it? James, the half-brother Jesus, wrote the believer scattered and said, you know what? You guys can overcome, and you can defeat temptation that leads to sin when full-grown leads to death. And the way you do it is you know your enemy, he wants to destroy and kill you. Know his game is temptation. Know your responsibility. And finally, James says, know your God. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Understand, our God is holy. He tests, but he never tempts. Maple Grove, our God is perfectly and utterly sinless. John said in 1 John 1, 5, that, that, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Everything in God resists sin. Evil is inherently foreign to him. He's aware of sin, but he is untouched by sin. And even now the angels in heaven, as they've done since the dawn of creation, are surrounding his throne and they're crying out, holy, 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 separate and sinless, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. A maple grove to defeat temptation. You need to know that, that your God is holy, that he's sinless, and that he calls you to be holy. First Peter 1.16, God says through Peter, be holy, be separate, be different than this world, because I am holy. We need to know our God that he's holy. We need to, we need to know that he is our source. You need to know that your God is the source of every good thing. Do not be deceived, my brothers and sisters. The thing daggling on a hook, that's not a good thing. That's not going to help you. That's not going to get you to where you want to go. I know it looks good, but it's not good. Don't be deceived by that. My dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Maple Grove, God is the giver of every good thing, every good and perfect gift, every good and complete gift comes from him. 
Understand, God does not promise us good. Hey, we got a great hotel here, master suite, presidential suite. You're going to love it. And then give us poison. No, everything that God gives to us is good. Is there any good in your life? Do you have a husband? Do you have a, do you have a, 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 a wife? Do you have a son, a daughter, a mom, a dad? Do you have a home to live in? Do you got people that love you and care about you? Do you got food in your pantry? Every good and perfect gift comes down from God. Brothers and sisters, you have to know your God. And he did not come to steal, kill, and destroy. But he's good. And he came to give you life. Life in all its fullness. God only wants good for you. Amen? We need to know our God. He's holy. He's good. And he's steady, sure, and unchanging. Who does not change like shifting shadows. Maple Grove, God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He's unchanging. He, he, he doesn't get in a bad mood, right? Aren't you glad? He, he's never changed for the worse. He's never, he's never, there's even awesomer, 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 I'm trying to make up my word, but it's not working. No, it's even more awesome. God never changes for the better. Why is that? Why is that so awesome? I mean, isn't it good to change for the better? Not if you're God. <laughs> because to change for the better means that there's something deficient in you. But Maple Grove, I, I stand before you today, there is nothing deficient about our God. He is all sufficient. He's all God. He is perfect and he's unchanging. Our God is infinitely good. His goodness is unchanging. He is good. He is as good as he will ever get. And he is gooder than we could ever imagine. We got to know our God. He's holy, he's good, he's unchanging. We have to know that his goal, he has a goal too, just like that lion. His goal for us is new birth. By the way, it's the exact same Greek word used that sin when full grown gives birth to death. Oh, God is all about birth too. Actually, it shows up only once in the English and the Greek. The word birth is used twice in that verse. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. You see, like our enemy, God's goal for us is birth, but not a birth to death, but a birth to life, a birth to grace, undeserved grace, because of his goodness. And, and listen, knowing our God, right? Knowing our God, knowing that our, that our God, that he's holy, that he's good, that, that he's unchanging, that everything he wants for us is good, that, that he desires to birth us into a new life and a better life. You, you know what? If you know your God, what's on the hook's not going to look so good, right? I mean, if you've had some prime rib, you may not like spam as much as you used to, right? 
You know, it just does, it's not as appealing anymore. I mean, if you've had a, a pink lady apple, man, I love pink lady. It's like, you know what? Other apples are okay, but they're just not a pink lady. Listen, when you know your God, when you know him, and you know that he is good, and he only wants what's good for you, and he's steady, he's holy, he's unchanging, and he wants to give you birth into something better, into something amazing. That Why would you want that? Why would you want what's on the hook that only leads to death? James is writing to believers that he loves, and he says, man, you know what? I, I, I want you to overcome these trials because real faith can turn them into triumphs. And he says, and I don't want you to think that you have no control over sin, that you're just a victim because you're not, because you can defeat sin when you know your enemy and you know your responsibility and you know your God. And, and notice this phrase, and if you guys would stand, we're getting ready to sing this, this last song and, 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 and uh he, uh, I love this part. It, 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 it says, you know, he chose us, right? You know, you know, he, he chose us to give us new birth. He, he chose us to give us birth. He chose us, and guess what? He knows us. He knows you. He, he chose you for this new and better life, and he knows you. He knows how messed up every single person in this room is. He knows you're good, the bad. He knows the desires you try to hide from everybody else. God is all-knowing, and yet he still chose you to pour out his love, his mercy, and grace, and to pour down from heaven every good and perfect gift. Why in the world would he do that? Because of his love. God loves you. And God does not want you or I to be a victim of temptation and sin. And we're going to sing this song about how his love. And maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered to Christ. Through faith, repentance, and baptism. You know, the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the birth of the church, people asked Peter, hey, what should we do to deal with this problem we got? Acts 2.38, he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the, of the Spirit. And he said, this promise is for you. It's a promise. If you, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. This promise is for you, for all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. And maybe you're here today, and you just been, you feel like a victim, right? See, see I, I want you today to know that sin is serious. Remember I said before, like, you know, what gives Satan's biggest nightmare is the believer who knows that sin is serious, but that God is enough, right? Right? So I, I, that's, that's his worst nightmare, right? And so I, if you're a sinner, and you are, I don't want you to be discouraged today. I don't want you to know that God wants to empower you to rise above it, to overcome it. Your God is holy. Your God is good. Your God will enable you to become everything that he wants you to be. God, we love you. We thank you that we can, we can be in your presence. God, all of us struggle with sin. We're like Paul. We know the good we ought to do it, and we didn't do it. We said we wouldn't do that thing. We did it again. And God, you didn't bring us here to condemn us. You brought us here to convict us, to tell us, yeah, that needs to be fixed, 
but you're not alone. I'll help you get through this, and we'll overcome it together by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. So God, I just pray as we sing, we worship you, and we worship in victory, and we worship knowing that regardless of our sin and our failures, we know that there is one thing that will always remain, and that is your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.